Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? This is Al Sackle along with Zane Nafi for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And there is finally, finally something to get excited about if you're a 49ers fan. I don't want to hear that, oh, it was against the Raiders. It was against a bad team. We can only put so much stock in what they did. Because listen, it's not like the 49ers have really been beating anyone lately. They've lost to a bad team in the Cardinals twice this season. So what we saw in week nine was a huge step forward for them. And we saw a QB performance that was one of the best debuts ever and the best statistically that the 49ers have had in four years. And it was the biggest margin of victory the 49ers have had since week eight of 2013 in a game against the Jags. This was as complete of a game as the 49ers have played since really the height of the Harbaugh years and maybe something to build on because to me, this team isn't going to get Nick Bosa. They're not going to finish with, with, less wins than a team like maybe the Bills. They're going to end up probably with four or five wins this season. And and, and that's okay, because if, if you look at the way that this season has gone, it's important right now for some of these young guys to learn how to win. San Francisco could easily have four or five wins right now if they only knew how to close out games. Three losses have been by three points or less this year. And San Francisco could easily, easily be going into this game looking to be five and five and then you go into the bye and you say okay can they win four out of the next six games and end up at nine and seven and and sneak in the playoffs so there may be a little bit closer to being decent even without Garoppolo than people realize can they hang with teams like the Rams the Pats the Saints etc no but they're closer to league average than their two and seven record would indicate so definitely a lot to talk about today but first our guest is one of the most tied-in NFL analysts out there today, and I can't wait to hear what the buzz around the league is in regards to the 49ers. Here's Benjamin Albright. Excited to talk NFL and the 49ers with our guest today, who's extremely tied into what's going on within the league. He's an NFL analyst and a current talk show host out in the Denver area. He is Benjamin Albright. Ben, thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, Ben, social media is a funny thing, and it can definitely be a double-edged sword in a lot of ways, but the good side of it is that you can really catapult people into the limelight, and you were one of those people for me because you're very tied into the league, and you're very knowledgeable, and I actually became familiar with you through Twitter, and I always check your timeline because your info is so accurate, and honestly, you have a lot of this stuff for uh, most people do, and I'm just curious to hear about you. About I know I read that you were a scout for a little while. How did you get started with that and ultimately end up in sports media? Oh, I fell backwards into it, honestly. Um, I wish there was like a, a rags to riches, you know, I, I was really grinding it out kind of story, but they, <laughs> I got lucky. Um, you know, when I was in college, I was a bench warmer when they bothered to let me sit on the bench. Um, and, and then I went on to become a grad assist for a while. And, that, you know, after that, uh, just kind of looked for something to do. And a buddy of mine, you know, got hired on with, uh, with the Tampa Bay Bucks. And, you know, he ended up getting me, uh, getting me in over there. Um, and so I did that for a little while until we all got fired, you know, they cleaned house. And so everybody got fired. And when that was done, I was just kind of like looking for the next thing. And I was like, well, um, you know, where do I go from here? And, uh, another buddy of mine said, you know, why don't you try the media circuit out? You're always really good at, you know, talking to people and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so I got on, uh, doing a little guest spot, um, on the radio and the program director heard it and he said, we, we got to get you in studio. So, so they did that turned into a weekend show. And then three months later it was a weekday show. And then, you know, I just kind of blew up from there. Who, who did you work with, with the bucks? Was it, um, lovey Smith or, uh, John Gruden. Oh, you actually there when Gruden was there. Oh, okay. What was it like to work with him? Uh, well, I really, excuse me, I didn't really do much working with him <laughs> as much as it was. I was on the road all the time. Um, okay. You know, we, we met him a couple of times and he was, you know, he's a nice guy, fun guy, put the booze away. Um, but, you know, it never really, um, it wasn't really a situation where I was, you know, which me and John hanging out, you know, I don't right, want to yeah. wrong impression or anything like that. What, what do you think of his, his uh, latest in here? You think he's going to be able to turn it, turn it around with the Raiders? I think John's smart like a fox. I think people are under that, underestimating him on this one. Um, I, I think that they always knew that they were going to tear this thing down and build it back up. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, John's got five first round draft picks over the next two years. And, 
you know, while people have talked about, you know, Gruden's overall drafts not having been that great, um, the reality is he didn't have a lot of early picks because the Bucks, when they traded, you know, they traded early picks for him. Um, but if you go back and look, his early picks were actually pretty good. He struggled in mid to late rounds. And, you know, a lot of that could be a reflection on his scouts as I, as I cough and poke myself there. But, um, you know, he, he actually, you know, he actually had good, right? He, he's got, got to keep to leave. I mean, and to leave has, mm-hmm. has been one of the premier corners of this generation. So, you know, John has a good eye for talent. Um, and, and, you know, he knows what to do in those early rounds. He has just always struggled connecting with younger guys, younger players because the attitudes are different. He comes from that, you know, that old school 49ers, um, you know, kind of philosophy on things. Mm-hmm. And so he struggles to connect with younger guys sometimes, specifically at the quarterback position. Um, but, you know, he, I, I think he, he has an eye for the talent. He has an eye for, you know, for what's going to work. And, you know, he understands that, uh, that he's with a franchise that's, that's cash strapped because they paid Carr. Uh, they paid him and they're, and they're moving, you know, to Las Vegas. They've got a lot of money tied up in that. So, you know, letting Khalil Mack go is just kind of one of those scenarios that had to happen. Now, getting into the Niners, this has been a, a nightmare season, and finally, all of a sudden, a little bit of a glimmer of hope with the play of Nick Mullins. What's the talk around the league with this? Is Mullins a one-hit wonder, or can he actually win some games here? Well, it's, that's going to be the thing to find out. It's interesting to see him come out there. I don't think a lot of people expected him to come out and do what he did, um, but I'll say this. Kyle Shanahan has always had an eye for quarterbacks. He's always had a, a knack for finding quarterbacks. Um, you know, he was The reason they took Kirk Cousins was because he was lobbying so hard in Washington for him. Um, you know, when he was in Cleveland, he wanted uh, them to bring in Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr, and instead... Um, you know, they, they went out and, and uh, you know, they didn't. They went out and did the Manziel thing, and that's part of why he forced his way out of there but uh, because he knew Johnny couldn't play at the, you know, at the end of a level. But um, I think that, uh, I think that um, you know, in the end, uh, Mullins has shown that he's uh, certainly a better talent than people thought, and, you know, Kyle knows how to maximize those talents. We'll see. You know, give it a couple of weeks, and we'll see if that's really, um, you know, what the thing is here, or if he is just that one-hit wonder. And sticking with the quarterbacks, the guy that Mullins is replacing, C.J. Beathard, had some moments, but he struggled overall hanging onto the football and, and scoring points consistently. If Mullins at least proves to be competent, could you see Beathard being done in San Francisco? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, you know, I mean, I think Kyle will keep him around as long as he can keep him around, but you know, it'll be done long-term in San Francisco. They were kind of grooming him as the long-term backup, you know, and uh, you know, coach's assistant, that kind of thing. But, I, you know, they'll keep him as long as they can. Kyle doesn't you know, he likes to collect those quarterbacks, but, you know, I don't know that they'll, they'll be able to justify a roster spot for him long-term. And we didn't see a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously, this year because of the injury, but he was a little up and down in his three starts, which I thought was to be expected. I thought he would come down to earth a little bit this year and, and improve as the season went on. What are your long-term expectations for Garoppolo and the 49ers when he gets back next season? I think he's a better than average quarterback. I don't think he's the guy everybody's, you know, ranting and raving about. I think he's good. Um, I, I think he's, you know, if you're ranking the quarterbacks year to year, he's that guy that's gonna gonna be like Kirk Cousins. He's gonna fall somewhere between twelve and probably nine in your in your overall rankings, maybe a little mm-hmm. higher every once in a while with great seasons. Uh, you know, as far as that kind of stuff goes. I, I don't view him as a top seven talent. I never have. Um Coming out of uh, coming out of college, he was basically a full route thrower. It was all in breaking, quick hit stuff. So he's still learning to let stuff develop. Uh, but being there in New England and having uh, you know learning behind Tom Brady and, and watching that offense, I think is is, is helpful uh, in acclimating to the NFL and coming from that uh, coming from that college system that he came from. In looking at the season George Kittle's having at tight end, he he looks like he could now be mentioned in the same breath with maybe the Gronks and the Kelseys and the Ertz of, or Jack Ertz of the league. Why do you think he sell, he fell so far in the draft and lasted until the fifth round? I think he was a guy that just, you know, some of these guys, when they get to the pros, it, it's about stepping it up. Some guys rise to the level of talent around them or, or stay held back by the level of talent around them, wherever they are. Something, sometimes it's being in a certain situation that allows you to motivate yourself to, you know, to excel. I think that, you know, the kid was a hell of a fine. Um, but I, I, you know, people just looked at his tape. They're like, "Oh, this is kind of just a guy." That you know, now he gets out there and, and tries to do the thing. And you're like, "Oh, okay. Well, I underestimated this guy." And that's that's kind of the thing on him. He's one of those guys who's, who's probably motivated by what's around him. And John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan made what 
was a curious first pick, I thought, at the time when they took Solomon Thomas. And, and he's been a hot name in San Francisco because he just he hasn't made the impact overall that people expected him to. And at the time, he looked like a safe pick, but he's just not an impact player and he's struggled so far. Do you think San Francisco is going to ultimately regret taking Thomas or, or do you feel like he can still bounce back and end up having a productive career? I think he can bounce back. Uh, you know, he's got the size and athleticism and strength to make an impact. I think he's just, you know, the learning curve's been a little steeper for him. Um, I think he's, you know, I think he, once they get more talent around him, it'll be easier for him, too. Uh, one of the things that, you know, you notice from some of these guys that come out is, you know, if they don't feel like that, you know, that maybe the guys around him are all that talented, well, they use double team and triple team them or, you know, double the chip and, and then all of a sudden you taking that guy out of the play and you really don't have to worry about the other guys. Now, there is some talent along the line there in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that, uh, you know, focusing on a guy like Thomas who does not have the impact of, for instance, Miles Garrett, um, who, you know, people kind of sort of considered in the same class, has, has got to be frustrating. Now, Bruce Irvin just signed with Atlanta and it was reported that the 49ers were went hard after him and were really looking into acquiring him. And we've been hearing that throughout the season that the team was interested in guys like Cleo Mack and, and Josh Gordon and Al Irvin. And there's been some frustration that the team isn't willing to maybe do what it takes to land some of these players. What have you heard about the 49ers' interest in, in guys like Mack and Gordon and Irvin? And, and how hard are they actually going after guys like this? Uh, I would say they put feelers out, but I would not suggest that they're actually after it as hard as maybe the, uh, some of the beat writers or bloggers that are looking to sell, uh, you know, sell clicks and articles would, would have you believe. Uh, they, they, San Francisco and, and Kyle Shanahan are really going to have, with, with John Lynch and Kyle, are really going to have a, a, you know, a build from the inside out philosophy. It's going to be draft and develop. It's not going to be a lot of trades. It's not going to be a lot of, uh, you know, going out there and spending heavily frequency because, uh, those aren't sustainable philosophies. So it's going to be drafted and developed, and then if we have a need, we go out and get that. You know? But I, I would not suggest that they were in the market for those players as much as we would have been. And obviously this has been an unlucky season for the 49ers, and they did have some high expectations coming into this year. So next year is going to be a big one. What's the consensus around the league with the job Lynch and Shanahan have done so far? Well, I think they've done a great job. It just hasn't equated to wins yet. Um, you know, it, it was always going to be a three-year deal. That's why he got the you know the contract that he did uh, when he signed on there. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you know, they've had some bad breaks here and there, but they also knew the cupboard was extremely bare when he got there, and you know it was going to take a while to get it to where they wanted to be. So, um, you know, I think next year you've got to start putting those wins together. The division itself is you know is softer. You've got a hard Rams team in there, but you know Seattle's kind of in a, a hit or miss uh, state of flux. Arizona is uh, bad. So, you know, you should be winning some football games at this point. Ben, thanks so much, so much for the time. We appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. All right, Zane, before we get going here, I wanted to tell our listeners about thequbsneak.com. Over the last two years now, the QB Sneak's weekly predictions have been over 60% correct. For accurate predictions on the NFL and thought provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams, confidence pools, or any help you need arguing with your friends over who's the GOAT, head to www.thequbsneak.com. Okay, lots to get into here. And obviously, we have to start off with the name that's on everybody's tongue right now, and that's Nick Mullins. And this game came completely out of left field. It was the best statistical game that a 49ers quarterback has played in four seasons. The last time a 49ers QB had 250 plus yards passing, three TDs and no interception was week six of 2014. It was Colin Kaepernick against the, at the time, St. Louis Rams. So it's been four years, Zane, and people can say what they want to. Oh, you know, they were playing the Raiders and Shanahan simplified everything for him. And can he do it again? Okay, great. It was a fluky Thursday night game, whatever. The bottom line is, he played a game statistically that we haven't seen a 49ers quarterback play in four years. You cannot take that lightly. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to come crashing back down to earth this coming week against the Giants. He very well may. It very well may have been a one-week thing. Maybe he keeps it going. But I'll tell you what, this has the fan base energized a little bit, doesn't it? It doesn't. Man, the numbers they put up, they were historical. I can't believe he did what he did. When I put, I actually put a tweet out before the game out and I said that I was in the gym, I was working out and I was like thinking about it. 
And I was like, you know what? Like, what if Nick Mullins just comes out and just balls out on 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 Thursday night football in prime time in front of the entire nation? What if he just just lights it up and just destroys the Raiders? And I tweeted out, I was like, you know what? I hope Nick Mullins goes out there and slings it, just slings it around the yard and gets his W. And not knowing that he would perform how he did. But Kyle Shanahan did not keep the training wheels off of him. He completed his first three passes on the first drive, including a touchdown. I believe he completed his first six overall. And this was like all, all gas the entire night. There was no, there was no, let's ease you into it. Let's call a few running plays. He's like, no, we're going to, we're going to run the, we're going to run the the game plan that we had for CJ Beathard. You're going to throw it. You're going to get, get rid of the ball quickly. And he put up, like you said, he put up some historical numbers. The passer rating for Mullins, which is 151.9, was the franchise record for a quarterback in his first start with the team. That's minimum 10 attempts. And it's actually the highest passer rating since October 2012 when Alex Smith uh, did it against the Arizona Cardinals. Alex Smith had a 157.1. The three touchdowns that Mullins had, they were the most in the 49ers' history for a quarterback in his first start. He tied, I believe it was Tim Ortay tied at Murray Matt Cavanaugh, which is not like a, a great group of players which kind of brings things back into perspective and brings things back down to earth, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he had a phenomenal first night. And Al, this is the stuff. Did you see him in the post game interview with Aaron Andrews? Did you see how that was great? It was great. How do you not root for a guy like that? Completely overcome with emotion. It was unbelievable to him. What was going on? You could see who's just living out a childhood dream, got choked up. It was great. How, how how are you not a hundred percent behind this guy? Exactly. And that's exactly what is kind of endearing about him. And I know this is Jimmy's team and, and we should overarching thing about all of this is that this is Jimmy Garoppolo's team and Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard are kind of just keeping the seat warm. But for the time being, it's really fun to get excited about a new quarterback and the, the joy that he plays with and the, the kind of morale of the team has shifted and everybody's kind of picked up with this win. And I know it's just one win, but man, it's, Nick Mullen's first career start. It's his first regular season pass that, he, that, that he's ever thrown. First regular season touchdown. First regular season win. He's getting interviewed by Kurt Warner after the game and talking to Michael Irvin and Steve Mariucci and getting texts from Brett Favre and being interviewed by Aaron Andrews at the end to talk about his performance. And this, is, this only happens like once in your career. So if I'm talking to Nick Mullins, I'm saying enjoy it, young man. Enjoy this moment because you will never have this again. You only have your first start once. And he put on an absolute show for the entire nation to see. And the fact that he beat the Raiders in the final battle of the Bay, and I'm not big on these things, Al. And I know that you don't live in the Bay Area, so you don't necessarily see it or feel it as much as we do here. But I'm not necessarily big on having this whole rivalry thing. But it is kind of nice to beat the Raiders the last time they play in Oakland and kind of send them off with an L. So I'm super happy about that. And Nick Mullins, man, he just like basically like lit, lit it up. Fantastic. He was quick with the ball. He was decisive in his throws. You could tell he he really knew where the ball was supposed to go when he he was well-versed in the offense. And David Lombardi from The Athletic put out a, a stat that it mullins through the ball 2.46 seconds to throw the ball, which was the second quickest of any QB with at least 20 throws this year. And to give you an example of, of what that is, uh, Drew Brees is the quickest on average in the league at 2.57 seconds to throw the ball. So the antithesis of, of C.J. Beathard, the ball was getting snapped and the ball was out. He was throwing the ball. He knew exactly where to go. And a lot of that's on Kyle Shanahan because he did a great job scheming and, and made it easy for Mullins. And that, that to me, moving forward is a good sign that he, he was so he, – he looked in complete control of the offense. He didn't look overwhelmed. And, and again, okay, he's playing a bad Raiders defense, whatever. C.J. Bathard wasn't winning against bad teams. C.J. Bathard wasn't winning against anybody. And, and you mentioned about what's going to happen moving forward. With the, Obviously, this is Jimmy Garoppolo's team. The, the only way this isn't Jimmy Garoppolo's team is if Mullins wins every game, the Niners sneak into the playoffs at 9-7, and seven and Mullins wins the Super Bowl, right? It's got to be something ridiculous for, right. for that to even happen. But all, all we want to see now is do the 49ers have a solid backup in Mullins? Because mm-hmm. they don't in Bethard. They don't. And what did I say? all off season and people, some people were like, Oh, you know, what does it matter in the preseason if CJ Bathard plays well, it's the preseason. And I said, it does matter because if Garoppolo goes down, you need to make sure that you have a quarterback that can, that can at least keep this team afloat, mm-hmm. not, not go 11 and five, not go 12 and four, but can, can they go seven and nine? Can they go eight and eight? And I said, if Garoppolo was out for five games, can they go two and three and three and two and not own five? Well, Bathard has proved that he, he, he can't win games. And, 
I, I was curious just because the, the Niners went on that run with Garoppolo, and I'm they're always so close in these games. Went back and looked in the last 19 games, Zane, the 49ers are seven and two without Bethard under center. They're one and nine with Bethard at quarterback. And you look at his starts this year, throw last year out because he was a rookie. Okay. I'm, I'm not a third round rookie coming in with that route. I'm not going to knock him for one and four and bad. What are you going to do? It was a rookie this year. I wanted to see progress. And you look at his five starts. He played well against the Packers in Green Bay. He played well against the Chargers in Los Angeles. He, he, he missed some throws. He made some mistakes, but overall he played well enough. But the thing is, the 49ers should, quote unquote, have won four of Beathard's five starts. But mm. they don't. They always find a way to lose. Whether it's his arm getting hit against the Chargers, whether he throws an interception late against Green Bay or misses Kittle on, on, a, thir- on a third and four, whether he's plays moves the ball against the Cardinals the first time but turns the ball over like crazy. And then the last two starts, he's just been playing terrible. He's mm. been terrible. So. Yeah, does he show flashes sometimes? Yes, but the bottom line is he does not win. In the Niners, and it's not all his fault. I'm not saying it's all his fault. There's other factors as well. But when C.J. Beathard is behind center, something always happens, whether it's a turnover or he takes a bad sack. If you look at Kyle Shanahan, since he's been head coach, and you look at the point differential for the 49ers with the quarterbacks, okay? Beathard has the most starts of any quarterback. The 49ers are negative 111 in his starts in point differential. And you say, okay, well, what are they with the other quarterbacks? Jimmy Garoppolo in eight starts, plus 29. Brian Hoyer in six starts, minus 33. And obviously Mullins, the one start is plus 31. But Beathard, the point differential is a massive difference. Massive difference with him with him in there. And he did have those couple of good games where he put up points against the Packers and the Rams. But the Niners have scored 18 points or less in seven of his 10 starts in 15 or less than six of 10. He's completed 57% of his passes. He has more interceptions than touchdowns, 13 picks, 12 TDs, and he's been sacked 37 times. Did Mullins get sacked at all against the Raiders? He no. didn't, right? No, he didn't. And I know the Raiders have a terrible pass. I mean, they have an atrocious pass rush. But still, we mentioned Mullins is getting the ball out. Bethard sits back there and holds the ball. And when he doesn't, when he's more aggressive, he turns the ball over. So I don't know what's going to happen moving forward. If Mullins comes out and stinks this week, they'll probably go back to Bethard, I, I, I would say. But we'll have to see how this plays out. I mean, what what do you think? Do, do you see this as going maybe it could be musical chairs at quarterback this year? Now, I've heard a lot of people kind of say that same sort of scenario where it is musical chairs. And I've heard both sides of it where people say, well, once you go to Nick Mullins, you can't go back to CJ because it's just a bad look. Who cares? The season's lost anyways. At this point, your your main goal this year, if you're John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, should be to, to develop one of these guys to be able to trade them for a draft pick next year. That should be the goal. And the guy that doesn't get traded is good enough where he can stick around as a backup. Really, we know, as you said, we know that this is Jimmy Garoppolo's team. This is not going to be a scenario where we saw last year that you have a Jimmy Garoppolo coming in and he and he lights the world on fire and he gets all these wins and then and then he becomes the, the franchise quarterback. No, this is a scenario where they're keeping the seat warm for him. And whoever plays better, in my opinion, becomes trade bait because there are enough QB needy teams in this league, Buffalo Bills. Like, did you see what Nathan Peterman did? How how bad Nathan Peterman is per- performing right now? <laughs> He's so bad. Poor, I feel <laughs> bad for him. And you live in the area, man. You see that locally all the time. You see Nathan Peterman all the time on TV. And the Buffalo Bills would be a great fit for a guy like Nick Mullins or even CJ, who's who's still better than what they have. So I think that that's what the the focus for them should be. Now. For the short term, I think that if Nick Mullins plays well, then yes, it's his job the rest, the rest, of, the, the rest of the way for the rest of the season. But if he stinks it up, then you may have a scenario where if CJ Beathard is fully healthy, that they'll probably compete for the job. And if he, I guess, if he practices better, if there's some sort of intangible that he has that's that's better, they may put they may go back to him. But you know what? I'll, I I have a feeling that this this change is permanent. I have a feeling that they just want to roll with Mullins and see what they have for the rest of the season because you know what you have in CJ. You've seen ten starts from him. And while, like you said, it's not all his fault, a quarterback is ultimately judged by wins and losses. And he's only won one game in his career. He's one and nine. And you have to ask yourself, if he were any quarterback in this league, if you take the name off of it and say he's quarterback X and he's not your friend's quarterback, he's just your backup. If quarterback X goes one and nine in his 10 starts, you're getting benched. 
unless you're a first round draft pick or a franchise quarterback, you're getting benched if you go one to nine in your first 10 starts. And this is par for the course for how this league is. It's not, a, it's not about like, Oh, well, I don't like CJ or he's not a great guy. That's it's not about that. It's about the production and wins and losses. And when you're not winning, it's going to be next guy up. And the 49ers have the luxury where now they've got the ability to try one of these guys out on an extended tryout for the rest of the season. And I say luxury because they really don't have a choice, but they get an extended look at Nick Mullins now. And I want to see what the kid can do. I'm really curious if, if he can follow last week up with another really great win. And I know that the name is, is so polarizing, but it reminds me of Colin Kaepernick when he came in and played against the bears and played against him on Monday night football. It was a much better team, mind you. And the bears were a much better defense that he carved up, but he came out there and he threw two touchdown passes and ran for another, I believe. And he was just throwing darts and like throwing the ball into small windows. And he, he looked like he was unstoppable. And he played that half season, that, that 2012 season up through the Super Bowl, and he was the best player in the NFL, in my opinion. Nobody was better. And we haven't seen the 49ers have that kind of player since, frankly, Terrell Owens was on the team in the early 2000s. And we had high hopes, and Alex Smith got the job next year and got hurt. And, and uh, or sorry, Alex Smith, yeah, 2013, Alex Smith got the, uh, uh, got the job 2012. He got hurt. Kaepernick took over 2013. It was Kaepernick. And then, you know, the rest is history. So I think that we have to be careful of fool's gold here as well. I know we're all excited about Nick Mullins and and he carved up a really bad Raiders defense. I really just think it's a game by game thing. And I really think that Kyle Shanahan can scheme a lot of guys open. And you saw a lot of plays where guys, there was nobody around them and Nick Mullins was able to find them because he got the ball out. And I think that if you watch the all 22 from, from, the other games this year from any game this year that CJ Beathard has started, there are guys coming open on most plays. Like you'll see guys flash open for a second or two, or a guy will be running free and CJ just misses him because he's either holding on to the ball too long or he makes the wrong read. And that to me shows that CJ is not the guy because when guys are coming open, this is the NFL. Like you're not going to have things like college where a guy has 15 yards of open space and you can hit him in a, in a window and he can just catch in and run with it for 95 yards. This is the NFL. The winners are tighter. The athletes are faster. The bigger, the stronger. You're going to have to fit it into a really, really small window, which Mullins did specifically on that Kittle throw, the, the catch and throw that Kittle had a one, one-handed catch and ran for about 70 plus yards, which we'll get into in a, in a bit. But I really think that Nick Mullins is going to be here for the rest of the season now. See, I don't agree with you at all on the trade thing. You mentioned trading them, and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. tell you why. We saw what happened this season with the injuries, and I'm not saying Garoppolo is going to be out all year again next year. But who, if he, you know, does something to his shoulder or he hits his hand on a helmet, maybe he's out for a month. You need a guy who can come in and win games. If Mullen proves that he can do that, look at this year alone. The Niners have lost three games by three points or less. If they have a better quarterback, if they even beat the freaking Cardinals, dude. They even beat those two games against the Cardinals. If if they had good quarterback play and won those and won those games, you'd be talking this week about winning and going to five and five into the bye. And then you say, okay, you're at five and five. Can they maybe go four and two in the second half of the season and maybe sneak in the playoffs at nine and seven? That's where we would be. They're probably two plays away from from saying that's 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 where they would be. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like if if one of these guys steps up. You know, I don't think it's going to be Bethard. I, I guess I would say if Mullen steps up, look at what the Eagles did with Foles. Mm-hmm. Wentz is coming back off of a, a knee injury, just like Garoppolo will be. If you have somebody decent that you know can step in and play a few games either early in the season if Garoppolo isn't ready, although he should be, or you have someone that can step in to play just if he gets banged up, you hold on to that guy. Look at what the Niners did with Steve Young. They held on to him all those years when they had Montana. They didn't say, okay, Joe's back in 88. Let's get rid of Steve. They they knew. Let's we have these two guys. Let's keep them. I, I think if Mullen steps up and shows that that he can, he's even, you know, if he finishes out this season and wins four or five games and looks great, you still hold on to him as the backup for Garoppolo. See, this is this is where and and I love this debate right now because we're debating something that's actually good and not bad, right? For once, right? <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Yeah, uh, I think that here's the thing, Al. The problem is that the 49ers, they need top level talent, and they want to acquire it through the draft. Like we talked about the last show that we did 
a couple of weeks ago that John Lynch was like, oh, we have to draft our way out of it, which I don't agree with necessarily. Like you also supplement with free agency, but really you only have five draft picks this year. And if somebody throws like a second round pick at you for Nick Mullins, I'm making that trade because that second round pick could be worth way more to your team than Nick Mullins can, right? And you already have CJ Beathard, who's proven he can play, not necessarily be the guy that carries your team to a win, but he can play. Like he can, he can, he can play and prevent the house from burning down for a couple. Yeah, of dude, the house is burning down. <laughs> but it's burning I, down. It's I, burnt. I, <laughs> I know what you mean, man. But like, it's it's one of those things where I just I just look at this situation. I'm like, okay, you've got three quarterbacks that can all start in this league. Start, not necessarily win. I feel like CJ can win with better parts around him. Really, I feel like he can. But at the same token, like you have to look at what you can get back for one of them. Like, okay, so let's say somebody wants to make a trade for CJ. Would you make that trade and keep Mullins? Oh yeah, I would. Yeah. I would pack CJ's bags for him at this point. Okay. So I would drive to San Francisco and help him pack at this point. <laughs> All right. So the, the thing is, is that like, we have to, we have to also realize that it's not like it was back in the eighties and, and early nineties where you can keep two hall of fame quarterbacks on your roster and stash them for a number of years. And I mean, I, I sure hope it was with, with Jimmy being stashed on New England's roster for four years, but it's very rare that you see that. And the NFL is such that like you have to start paying these guys, right? And if he's on a rookie quarterback, a, sorry, rookie uh, contract, go ahead. You know, that's totally fine. You can keep both of them. It's not a big deal. And the, the cap hit's going to be minimal. But if you're paying a guy, like that's why New England let Jimmy go. That's partially wise because they were going to have to franchise him. And you're having to pay a quarterback in that circumstance, $17 million to sit on the bench behind Tom Brady. So I just don't want that sort of situation where they wait too long and they have to unload him because they're desperate. Um, I feel like this is like an audition for Nick Mullins to, to really show other teams what he can do. And if, honestly, if somebody team makes some, t- some team makes a stupid offer and throws it at you on draft day for Nick Mullins, it's going to be really hard for me to say no, if I'm the 49ers GM. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves w- with that, but another thing you have to consider with Mullins, I feel like is a lot of what we saw, not taking anything away from him, but a lot of what we saw in the last game was Kyle Shanahan. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan, you know, scheme people and put people in the right spots and, and that sort of thing. So, and Mullins did make some crazy throws. The throw he made to Kittle was crazy. Everybody's talking about Kittle's catch, and it was, you know, it was amazing. But the throw Mullins made in between what three guys for mm-hmm. in the only place it could land in Kittle's arm. I mean, that that was a great throw. And Mullins made some mistakes. He almost threw the interception in, in the end zone. That just got dropped, and, and there was a play. I think it was a good one where he rolled out and threw a bad ball. There were there were a couple bad balls. But overall, he, he, he did look good. But I feel like if we got to wait a few weeks before we're talking about trade bait for him. But again, even, even if he does play well, I, I, I would definitely hold, hold on to him. And even, his, his, even if he does finish the season really and looks great for the next however many weeks, seven weeks or whatever, there still has to be the pause there because it is Shanahan and you have to wonder how much of that is, is system too. So we're talking about him as if he's. Like, if he's one, yeah, we got it. Listen, we need to get on the show next week and, and be like, so we're going back to CJ this this week. Yeah. So, you know, we got, we got, we got to see what happens, man. But, you know, it's, it's fun to debate. You know, it's, it's fun to talk what if at that point. Again, like you said, when was the last time we've had anything good to debate about? A good controversy, good. It's, it's been a while. So, listen, let us have our fun. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's it was at least fun for one night just to see the 49ers stomp somebody. And I think that that was probably, in my opinion now, the, the most complete win that the 49ers have had under Kyle Shanahan that's better than the Giants win last year because the Giants, I mean, it was one of the situations where they still, the Giants were still kind of in the game, but this was just a beat down right from the beginning. And you can say that the Raiders gave up and they're not a great team, but that's what you want to do to bad teams. You should beat them down. You should blow them out. If they afford, if the 49ers were to come out and, and win by a, a field goal at the end, we'd still be happy, but would we be feeling the way that we are now? Probably not. Right. Be feeling and, as great. and I don't buy the bad team thing because the Cardinals are a bad team. We got exactly. two losses against them this year. So uh, right. We said, yeah, it's, it's an NFL team in a, in a win is a win. And one of, again, it's probably a mirage because of against the Raiders, but all of a sudden there's a pass rush. All of a sudden Dakota yeah. Watson, who had four career sacks at 30 years old comes in and, and looks like Khalil Mack coming off the edge. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. And 
Zane, I saw, I was, you know, because I, I like to look up the stats and I'm all over pro football reference all the time. And do you know the Niners are tied for seventh right now in the league with 24 sacks? Can I you saw believe that? that. I saw that come across Twitter and you had posted that and I was, and I was shocked because it just, they just don't get to the quarterback very often. And I, I just didn't know. Maybe it was because of the eight sacks that they had and a lot of teams were bunched together, but I didn't, I didn't know that at all. I think it was, and I, I think it was a lot of the Raiders game just kind of jacking up the stats mm-hmm. um, because you do get the eight sacks, seven sacks that were given to players, and then there was one random sack that Carr sacked himself. I didn't even know that they could do that. I didn't know that. I thought you always had to give a sack to a player. So there's actually 23 total sacks on the Niners team, but they have 24. Well, I should say the Niners players, but they have 24 as a team. But definitely we love the way Watson played, and he dropped a lot of weight in the offseason. And he looked great coming off the edge, and hopefully he can give them a little bit of spark there. Dakota Watson's been on our show, by the way. Dakota Watson's a good guy. He came on our show last season. And also, Cassius Marsh has put together a couple strong games in a row. Yeah, and you you obviously, DeForest Buckner is the stalwart of the defensive line. He's sure, got five yep. half sacks this year, so he has almost equaled his career high in half a season. So I think that these are the types of games that you need as a defense. Cassius Marsh has, like you said, come along pretty well in the last couple of games. And I think, I really think they just needed to play together. The defense has been one of the, the unit that's been the healthiest all year, arguably on a team that's been beset by ridiculous amounts of injuries. And I feel like they really just needed to play together in the scheme to be able to do well. You look at the, you look at the corners and Richard Sherman has been, I would say he's, he's ranked number one by PFF, I believe in the amount, what it was catches per, um, times thrown at or something like that. It was some sort of stat like that. And he's number one in that. And it was kind of telling to me because not only are people not throwing at him, but when people throw at him, the receiver's not catching the ball. Like I believe one guy had to catch uh, at the very end of the game when garbage time. But other than that, he's been a shutdown corner. And part of that is, is because of what he brings to the table as an individual. But I really feel like when the entire defense is clicking, like it was against the Raiders, you really see what they can do and, and their effectiveness as a team. And everybody's all over the field. Malcolm Smith was making plays and, and uh, Solomon Thomas was making plays. Like you said, Dakota Watson, it's just really like a confidence boost. And you have these games during the season where you play an inferior opponent or an opponent that's kind of someone's so-called like given up or whatever they want to call it. You have those games where you, play against an opponent to rack up stats and sometimes it's good for your psyche as an athlete and it's good to be able to to like they say out for nba players it's just good to see the ball go through the hoop like after a, when the whistle's called they'll just still shoot the ball to see it go through the hoop that's kind of like how it is for the niners right like it's good to see them get these plays and and get these get get to the quarterback and show that they can come up with a sack as opposed to just like getting close and not not bringing him down so i'm really hopeful that this will be a sort of turning point for them in the season that they'll be able to realize that, Hey, we can actually get it done in this scheme. And maybe Robert Sala realizes that we have to bring the blitz a little bit more to get to the quarterback. I feel like he's blitzing more now than he ever has before in this, in the previous, whatever, uh, I'm going to give him a 16 and eight in the previous, uh, 24 games that he's been here. I think that, uh, it really comes down to, can they get an edge rusher to make a difference? And I feel like really, really think that they can get to the quarterback with who they have, but edge rusher has to be the priority. And obviously the 49ers still feel that way as Bruce Irvin was released by the Raiders. And it was reported by Matt Mayoko that the 49ers went hard after Irvin for whatever that means. I'm sure that's laughable for fans at this point because how many people have the Niners said, oh yeah, we went hard after them. It's kind of getting comical. They should probably stop saying that. Mm-hmm. Maybe just say we had some interest or something like that. Them continually saying that they're pushing for these people and not getting them is getting a little bit ridiculous. But anyway, when I read that, that, that they had interest in Irvin, my first thought was why? Why would they have interest in this guy? Because, all right, he gets cut. He's 31 years old, right? He goes to Atlanta on a one-year deal, which is usually what happens with guys like that when they get cut. They sign a deal for the rest of the season, and they'll go into free agency. Why would you bring him into a 2-7 and seven team what, so he can get an audition mm-hmm. for nine games and go somewhere else next year? I don't understand that. And if you wanted him that badly, like if they were that all really wanted him, 
why don't they put in a waiver claim and just play that? I think he was he's owed nine million next year. I think that's what it was. I'd have to double check, but he had a non guaranteed salary next year or whatever it was. The night that the Niners could have definitely afforded. If they wanted him that bad, why didn't they put in a waiver claim? The whole thing was a little weird to me. Yeah, I agree. It was just, uh, in all fairness, honestly, Al, Bruce Irvin wanted to go home to Atlanta. He had offers from the Patriots and Steelers that were better than what Atlanta had. But this is a situation where a guy wanted to play uh, in his hometown. And when, you have, when you're kind of running up against that, you're not really going to win. But credit the 49ers for trying. They probably knew that ahead of time. But I'm kind of with you. Like I'm not. I'm not going to knock them not getting Bruce Irvin because they never really should have gotten him in the first place. But it's funny to me that they say they went "quote unquote" went hard after a player, as if no other teams in the league ever go hard after any free agents. Like, come on, man! Like we know, we know how this league works. We know that every team tries hard to add free agents. You don't try any harder than anybody else. Really, come on. Let's just stop saying that. So I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna knock them for not getting Bruce Irvin because. He's he he's had 40 sacks in his career at 31 years old. He's never had more than eight. Eight's a good number, but when you when your only job really is to rush the quarterback, and when he played in Seattle, he played at that Leo position, which was just literally pin your ears back and rush the quarterback. If you don't have like 10, 12 sacks, it's not worth the the nine million dollar price tag or whatever it was to get him off of waivers. And I'm with you, Alec. Like, like I agree, if they really wanted him that bad, pay the nine million. You have the money to do it. So if you really wanted him that bad, you could have paid for that spent the 9 million this year. And then on basically like a tryout, you're spending 9 million on Jimmy Ward to basically be uh, like a, a flex corner safety. I don't know what he is now. Not really good at anything sort of player. And really he's not part of the future. So why don't you do it with the pass rusher? So really, again, I'm not going to knock them for not doing it. I understand why they didn't do it. I can make an argument for it, which I just did, but at the end of the day, like they, they need to get younger at that position and, and they really need a difference maker. And Bruce Sermon's a nice player. Like he's, he's kind of like a, a secondary sort of part, but he's not one of those guys that you can hang your hat on like a Khalil Mack or Justin Houston or D Ford or somebody like that. Yeah. I, I was, I just a little perplexed by the whole thing, but maybe that their interest in going at hard after these people, maybe that will bode well for the off season and they'll actually give it, go after some of these guys that are out there and, and spend some money. And I, I definitely, I don't want to see another off season where they're near the bottom of the league and spending. Mm-hmm. This is year three. This is an important year. I want them to go for it. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. I also wanted to talk about in this game, the performance of Richie James. I thought only caught two passes and he did drop a touchdown pass, but he had that really long reception. And to me, he looked explosive. And to me, he brings an element to the team that Trent Taylor does not. 22 games with the Niners that he's played, Trent Taylor averages 9.3 yards at catch, and I, I think he's banged up this year more than he's letting on, but he's only averaging 7.7 yards per reception this year. There's really no explosive plays out of Taylor. He kind of is just a sort of shifty possession receiver, and James offers explosion. He really does. And we saw the Niners receivers look a lot better in this game. This was the first time this season that more than one wide receiver scored in a game, scored a touchdown in a game. Pierre Garcon had one and Kendrick Bourne had one. So I like the addition of James there. And he's a guy I want to see along with Pettis. I want to see these guys get a lot of reps. I want, I almost don't even care if Trent Taylor dresses again this season. I want to see what James has. I want to see what Pettis has. The next seven games are really important for those two guys to me. Yeah. And it's funny how Trent Taylor's fallen off this season. And uh, like you said, it's because of injuries, but I really think that this is one of those scenarios where they don't really care where the production comes from. Uh, it's hard to not get attached to draft picks because I was really attached to Trent Taylor last year, especially when Jimmy was playing, he was a really, really reliable option on third down. And sometimes guys have that sophomore slump and this team seems to be going through that at all positions that were rookies last year, except for George Kittle. And I think that, with Richie James, what you're seeing is, again, one of those guys that had prolific numbers in college. We talked about him on our draft show, and this was probably one of my favorite draft picks. I remember saying that this was one of my guys that would be a star that would, people would not really know about until he got a chance. And he's finally getting a chance. And he was able to get open and, and make that long reception when uh, Mullins was able to hit him in space. And I think that really they ha- want a certain quality out of their slot receiver. and. Trent Taylor possessed it last year. He hasn't really been able to get on track this year. And Richie James possesses that. He possesses the ability to get open in, in 
short amounts of space and he can run the entire route tree. He ran the entire route tree in college and he was able to make tough catches along the sideline over the middle. He's able to go deep. He's not a super, super speedy guy, but he's one of those guys that is a really crisp route runner. And I think that Kyle Shanahan really desires that out of his receivers. And Dante Pettis is another one of those guys that's a really crisp route runner. While Pettis may not have what they call quote unquote say NFL speed in terms of being a, a, a deep threat. I think that he, his quality, his biggest quality is the fact that he can run the entire route tree like a professional and he can get open again in, in short spaces. And that's what Kyle Shanahan needs. Because if you look at the way that they run this offense out, the best that when the quarterbacks are at their best is when they're getting at the ball out of their hand. Like, I know we talked about Nick Mullins already, but going back to him real quick, when you saw Nick Mullins operate the offense against the Raiders, did you not kind of see a little bit of what Jimmy had last year, getting rid of the ball quickly, getting guys open in space and getting them the ball. It just seemed very much like a simplified version of what we saw uh, last year. And it seems like all the quarterbacks do well when, when Kyle Shanahan does that, it seems like when he gives them more to deal with, that's when things kind of break down. And when you saw Jimmy struggle earlier on this year, I wouldn't say he struggled too bad. I mean, it was just, normal growing pains. He just wasn't like the all pro quarterback that he was at the end of last year. It was because he was hanging on to the ball and it was taking time for these routes to develop and things like that. And I really think that with the receivers that you have with right now, their skill set is to get open in short spaces. And Richie James is included in that. Dante Pets is included in that. So I'm excited to see these guys going forward. Kendrick Bourne is really coming into his own as well. He had another touchdown catch and he seems to be one of those guys that's becoming more of a reliable target. The 49ers were high on him coming into the season. And I really think that going forward, he's going to be a focal point. And we even have Pierre Garcon showing, right? We had his Pierre Garcon sighting and he had his first touchdown as a 49er on what was, it was really honestly busted coverage by the, the Raiders, but it was a good play call by Kyle Shanahan and, and Nick Mullins to, to find him and get him his Nick Mullins first career touchdown and Garcon's first touchdown with the Niners. So they're they're on their way. I feel like they can add a number one, and I feel like they'll probably try to go for either adding one through the draft or signing one. Like you said, this has to be one of those years where they spend their money. This has to be 2019 has to be the year that they start to open up their pocketbooks and start to bring in some of these marquee free agents because you eventually have to, you know, the saying like, you know, crap or get off the pot. It's like, all right, you got to crap or get off the pot, right? And I think that 2019 is is that year. So this year is going to be for developing some of these rookies and second-year guys and seeing what you have going into next year. And next year will be the year where you really have to start bringing in difference makers. Someone else I want to see more out of two moving forward is Marquise Goodwin. Mm-hmm. Four, four catches, 126 yards, two touchdowns in week four against the Packers. In his other five games this season, nine total catches, 144 yards, and two touchdowns. So you love the four TDs this season, but you want to see him get the ball in his hands more. He's been pretty dynamic when he has gotten it in his hands, but hasn't been a lot of volume there, and I'm not entirely sure why. I don't know if it's QB play. I don't know if he's not getting open. I don't know if teams are keying in on him and taking him away. I'm not entirely sure, but I would like to see him definitely, definitely get the ball a bit more moving forward. And somebody else I was excited to see get the ball more was Raheem Mostert. Mm-hmm. Last four games, 28 carries, 250 yards. Looked, again, yeah. explosive in this game, and then he breaks his arm. I was sick yeah. for him, absolutely sick for him. Yeah, Raheem Mostert was really coming into his own. This just I'm just gutted like seeing what happened to him and and how good he was doing and how well he was playing and all of a sudden his season comes to an end on a freak play, a really a non-contact play where he's just trying to brace himself and as soon as he went down like it was just it was terrible. You could hear the scream over the TV and the audio and it was just like uh, all the players are calling for for help on the sideline and it was just it was just not a, not a pretty sight and it just it sucks for a guy who was known as a special teams ace. He's one of the fastest guys in the league playing the gunner spot to come in to this lineup and nobody really expected anything out of him. He became a really important piece, both catching and running the ball. And I wanted to see more of him and see what he could do and see if the 49ers next year could have a three-headed monster with McKinnon, Brita, and, and Mostert, and all of a sudden his season's over. And it's just really, really too bad about that. And I'm with you on Goodwin. I don't know what it is about Goodwin this year. I think really, Al, I think he's hurt. I think that quad injury 
it's just when you have those those muscular injuries like a quad or a hamstring or things like that, they just they kind of stick with you the entire season. They really go away. Like Sherman has the, the calf injury and he really honestly shouldn't be playing and he's he's gutting it out and playing through that and is probably gonna have a, a Pro Bowl season. And it's just certain positions you just can't do that. And Marquise Goodwin is a speed guy, and I feel like not only the injury is the injury having an effect on his game, but like you said, other teams see the tape. They see that he is the number one threat on this team, and they're trying to take that away, which opens up all the other opportunities for other guys like George Kittle. And I, I really want to see what they can do with Mullins and Goodwin, see what, see what kind of chemistry these two have. Because Goodwin got the extension last year. He's here for another, I believe he's another, for another two seasons. So you still have him for a couple of years before you have to redo his contract. And I really think that they want to see more in terms of how the quarterbacks can, can get him the ball. And when you are constantly switching quarterbacks, it's hard. It's hard for a receiver to get into a rhythm. And I think that once you have more stability, that's when you'll see what Marquise Goodwin can do. Like we saw what he did at the end of last year when Jimmy Garoppolo came in and there was more stability because of the fact that you have the same guys in, in, in the huddle with you every single day in practice and in, in, in games. And I think that once Marquise Gordon has that, when he has the chemistry with the court, whoever he's playing with, you'll see him be able to put up like a thousand yard season. He was going to do it last year. And if it wasn't for a, a dirty hit by, by uh, the Rams safety, it, it would have been a thousand yard season for him. Yeah, and you mentioned Kittle. His numbers just continue to be outstanding. 13th in the league in receiving right now, 692 yards. The only tight end who has more receiving yards than him is, is Travis Kelsey right now. 16.9 yards per catch. Um, he's just been absolutely outstanding. He, he is one of the best tight ends in the league right now. He may even end up being an all-pro tight end this year. He should definitely definitely make the Pro Bowl. So he's he's an exciting guy, and and for a fifth-round pick, man, it's just the Niners found a gem in him, and the last two drafts, they've come away, you know, with McGlinchey and, and with Kittle, it looks like two cornerstones for the offense. Yeah. And George Kittle was named one of the team captains after just one full season, which is huge. You don't really see that happening. And you don't see that as fans because we don't see what happens in the locker room and how these guys interact with each other. But it's kind of telling to me that they, at a team that you have full of guys who have played in this league for a long time, like Weston Richburg and Joe Staley and, and DeForest Buckner, who hasn't played for a long time, but is but is a respected veteran, and Malcolm Smith and Richard Sherman, like you see a guy like George Kittle ascend to that position of team captain or one of the team captains and do it in his second year. It just it just speaks volume to not only the play that he has on the field, but the guy that he is off the field and in the locker room. And I think that he's one of those guys that's really well liked on the team. And the, the funny story. He was actually talking to the media earlier this week, and he was talking about how he followed Travis Kelsey on Twitter for like three years. And just this week during the game, Travis Kelsey gave him a follow back, and he was like, "Man, that was really cool. I, I want to follow from some of the other top tight ends." And it's 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 funny, like because he can keep it light, and the moment's not too big for him. And it's not very often that you see that. And it, it by comparison, Al and I, I thought Vernon Davis was the best tight end the 49ers had ever had. And until further notice, in my opinion, he is the best tight end the 49ers have ever had. And it took him four seasons to really get going. It took him four full years to really become that elite sort of tight end. And we started seeing a little bit more of that when Jim Harbaugh came in and, and Vernon Davis had the, the moment in the playoffs when Alex Smith threw him the touchdown and he really came into his own. We're in the same number, by the way, the 80, number 85. And I really think that George Kittle can have that same sort of impact because while he may not have Vernon Davis's speed, he does have similar blocking ability. Vernon Davis was a really, really good blocker. And I think that George Kittle, who's known for his blocking, is right up there. And really the only thing for him is that can he stay healthy and can he continue producing at this clip? Because eventually what you're going to see is you're going to see defenses start to key in on him and try to take him away. They'll start chucking, they'll start hitting, hitting him at the line, trying to knock him off his route. They'll start doubling him over the top. They'll start trying to take him away. And the real test of a, a really good franchise players that can you still get yours when the other team is trying to take you away and i think that as he becomes more well known around the league you'll see teams try to take him away much like we talked about with marquise goodwin where he became well known as the 49ers really only threat at wide receivers so teams are trying to take him away and it'll be interesting to me to see like how how this season finishes out i really hope he gets a thousand now right now he has 692 yards he has a, he has almost 700 yards 
and he has he has on a 41 catches so he's averaging 17 yards a catch which is a lot for a tight end mm-hmm. yep and I'm, I'm yeah, really, if, if he I'm stays sorry. healthy yeah yeah if he stays healthy yeah he, he looks like a thousand yard guy for sure yeah i think so he's averaging he's he's on pace for 1200 i don't think he'll get to 1200 i think if he stays healthy he'll get to a thousand which would be really nice because the niners have never had in their history they've never had a tight end who's had a thousand yards that's strictly played tight end yeah, and twelve hundred yards would be the most anybody's had since uh, TO. So mm-hmm. that that would be crazy. It'd be just a huge year. So, do we even have to say game balls this week? I mean, it's obvious, right? BDN, right? Yeah, <laughs> gotta got go with him. You know what? No, mine's gonna go. I'm gonna mind a Bradley Pinion. Wasn't he the special <laughs> teams player of the week? He was. Yeah, yep. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give mine to Bradley. You can give yours to BDN. All right, cool. So. <laughs> So yeah, BDN. I mean, we we heard the stats: 151 point, uh, whatever pass rating, and threw three touchdowns and 260 yards, and he was phenomenal. And he won over the locker room in one start. It's it's fantastic to see how the locker room rallied around him. And I don't know if you saw the post game clip out where he was talking to the locker room, and and he said in the preseason that he was like, oh, okay, well, you know, we the last time we were here it was Dallas and it's, we said, this is what, this is why we play the game. even though it's only preseason. And he was like, well, this isn't preseason. This is why we play the game. And the entire team went crazy after he said that. And it's nice to see, it's nice to see them rally around a young kid like that. He's 23 years old, right? He's just a kid to us. And it's his first start and the moment. wasn't too big for him. So Nick Mullins BDN gets my game ball. Bradley Pinion averaged 54.7 yards per punt. (laughs) One punt inside the 20. And a net average of 48 to win the special teams player of the week. You get my game ball, Bradley. Yeah, he's okay too, but he's no Bradley Pinion. 54.7 <laughs> yards. Good, good job kicking the ball, my friend. I got your back. I got your back. Hey, also, a fifth round, also, a fifth round pick, huh? Those fifth round picks are, are killing There it right is. Now. Just coming yeah. out huge. Coming <laughs> out huge in week, week nine or eight, whatever it was. I don't, I don't know where we are. All right, Zane, this week, are we going to have a winning streak? Are the Niners actually going to put a couple together here? Yes, the 49ers will have a winning streak. We mentioned a few weeks ago that there would be a stretch where we picked the Niners for a few weeks, and we felt like some wins were coming. This is going to be a win. I have a good feeling about this. It's another national game. It's a Monday night game. Everybody gets to see Nick Mullins out there again, no matter what market you're in. And it's a reeling Giants team who's basically – got a quarterback who's a shell of his former self, who's emotionally and physically battered. And you've got a team that's in flux. Odell Beckham is causing a ton of drama. Saquon Barkley is a really big threat, but really if you can stop him, really they have nobody else to go to because Eli can't get rid of the ball. So this is one of those things where it would be great if the Niners ended Eli Manning's starting career on Monday night, just as revenge for that 2011 championship game. Just, just basically like, all right, we're going to beat you down so bad that you're going to lose your starting job and you're never going to get it back with the Giants. So I'm going to say the Niners win this one. I don't know if he's going to be as comfortable as the Raiders because everybody was put on notice because of Nick Mullins, but I think they win this one. I'm going to say 27-17. It's amazing when you look at some of the weapons the Giants have. They have Beckham. Shepard's a good player. Ingram had a good year last year at tight end, and obviously Barkley. And Eli has been more than a competent quarterback in this league, you, you would think they'd be able to score points and they can't. They're just atrocious. The Giants have been horrible this year, mm-hmm. really bad. And they, they've traded some players away and it looks like they've kind of packed it up for the season too. And they might be playing for next year. This is definitely a game the Niners should win. And I think that they do. I, I it will. It's not going to be another 34 to three type thing. It'll be closer. I agree with you. I'll say it's even going to be maybe like 21 to 17. I think you might have to sweat it out type thing, but I see the Niners winning this game and going into the bye again, it's going to be nice going in at three and seven, but it's also going to be incredibly frustrating because if you just beat the freaking Cardinals, mm-hmm. it's all you had to just, the Cardinals are awful. I mean, an awful football team. If you, even if you beat them once you're four and six, I, I mean, three, you say three and seven, that's, that's still a pretty bad record. You could easily be five and five after this game. It's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating. But take the positives going to the bye. I think it's going to be a two-game winning streak. And then to me, you have you're playing a team with a good offense, but an atrocious, atrocious defense coming out of the bye in Tampa Bay. And all of, it's another winnable game. And all of a sudden, maybe just maybe you got something going here, and we're talking about a nice winning streak. So we'll see. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but a lot, lot of good vibes after this 
win against the Raiders, and, and we'll see how far the Niners can take this. The Niners have, they're in a stretch where they have one game in 24 days because they had the Thursday night game and then the 10 days in between. And now after this, it's going to be a bye. So basically between the Friday after that Thursday night game and after the bye, it's going to be 24 days. And it'll be a nice, really nice time for them to rest up and a, a good time for Kyle Shanahan to shift the focus to see who he wants to play quarterback for him the rest of the season and see how much he wants to give to Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard and, and wants to see if he wants to increase the workload of the playbook. And this people keep talking about the number one draft pick and Nick Bosa and things like that. Al, the, the Niners are not getting the number one draft pick. They're not going to lose enough. There are more, there are worse teams in the league than the Niners. The Niners are probably the best two and seven team I've, I've ever seen in my life. They really are. <laughs> They're in almost every game and they are one or two mistakes away from winning a game. And for losing your starting quarterback and starting running back, Kyle Shanahan has done an amazing job. And I want to reiterate that Kyle Shanahan is not on the hot seat, despite what some people want to make you think. He's not on the hot seat. There's no reason for him to be on the hot seat. He's had a really, really string of bad, a really, really bad string of luck with injuries. And he's doing the best that he can with this roster. And at the end of the season, what you're going to see is you're going to see them probably have five or six wins because they're not that bad of a team. They're not a bottom of the of the league team like they were with Trent Baalke. And we've said this all year. It's just that they have to have enough difference makers to get them over the hump. There's every win. When you become a 500 team, every win that you get becomes that much more difficult. It's harder, in my opinion, to become for, to go from eight and eight to 10 and six and 11 and five than it is to go from two and 14 to six and 10. because when you get up to that upper echelon of teams in the, the top half of the league, it's harder. The, the wins are harder to come by because the games and teams are much more competitive. So what you're going to see is a team that will be able to probably get to, I think they'll get to five or six wins by the end of the year, especially towards the end when they had, when the Rams, if conceivably they've had it locked up and, and they want to rest their starters. So I really see more wins coming on their schedule and they're not going to, they're not going to get the number one pick. They're, they're not. Yeah, I, I can see them maybe winning four or five games this year. And, and there's going to be teams that are worse. The Bills are going to be worse. The Browns will probably be worse. The Giants might be worse. And certainly, I mean, the Raiders, my God. Oh, what a dumpster fire. The Raiders, and I, I know we're, we're a Niners show and we, we want to keep it Niners, but I just want to touch on the Raiders for a second. We occasionally do. John Gruden has absolutely lost that locker room. He's absolutely lost that team. And they have completely ruined Derek Carr, who two years ago looked like an all-pro quarterback. He, he looked so good a couple of years ago that I was like, man, they've got it figured out. They've got their franchise quarterback. They're going to build around him, and they're going to become a, a contender. And in two short years, they basically ruined him by giving him three offensive coordinators in that short span. And John Gruden doesn't really seem to care to develop Carr. I really think that what's going to happen is that John Gruden is going to eventually trade Derek Carr for a draft pick, maybe like start stockpiling some more of these draft picks. They've got five first round picks in the next two years. So maybe try to trade him to a quarterback desperate team. And it was interesting. Jackson, Jacksonville is a good match for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Blake Bortles is just a, a train wreck right now. And that, that flamed out like we thought it would, but Jacksonville is one team. Buffalo is another team. And these guys have high first round picks or high second round picks that they'll probably throw at the Raiders for Derek Carr if they offered. Now, with regard to the end of the game, it was kind of interesting to me, Al, that they brought in A.J. McCarron at the end of the game, and he was throwing the ball around. I'm like, what? why are they doing this? Like, th You're losing by 31 points. Start running the ball. It's four minutes left. It's, it was like three minutes and 30 seconds left, and they were trying to throw the ball with, with McCarron. And I was thinking to myself, well, why wouldn't you just leave Derek Carr in just to turn around and hand the ball off and just go home, take your L and go home? And it came to me. I'm like, man, they're actually trying to get AJ McCarron reps. They want him to throw the ball because they want him to be used to being able to have this game experience in the system. Otherwise, why the heck would they put him in? Out, they're going to start AJ McCarron this year. That's what's that's what's going to happen. If they keep losing, AJ McCarron is going to get the starting job, and they're going they're going to want Derek Carr out of there, which is unbelievable to me. And it came to me at the end of the game because why else would you have a guy throw the ball when you're down by so much? You just turn the ball, turn around, hand the ball off, and, and keep the clock running, and just go home. Punt it, get rid of the ball. Like you don't get anybody else hurt, and you just go home. But it's crazy. They want AJ McCarron to start over Derek Carr, which is insane to me. I never thought Carr was quite as good as he looked in that twelve and four year. But also, 
he's certainly a starting quarterback in this league, certainly. And he, he played, I know he was hurt last year, so maybe didn't play as well as he could have, but this year has been a train wreck for a lot of different reasons for the Raiders. And it's tough to judge Carr on this year, but I agree with you. He's going to be, he's going to be with a different team next year. Jacksonville is a, a great match. I don't think Buffalo is because I, I, you have to think Buffalo spent that high pick on Josh Allen. They're going to try to develop him. They, they may bring in a, a veteran quarterback to back him up in case things go haywire, but I don't know. They would give up on him that, that, that soon. That's, that's bad for that regime. If, if they do give up on Allen already, um, it does not look good for them at all. But I, I think Jacksonville is definitely going to be the match for Carr. And I hope he gets out of there, man. The Raiders are a train wreck. And Gruden obviously wants to rebuild that team in his image. But he got rid of some good players. I mean, there were some decent players there he could have built around. And he got rid of them. So yeah. we'll see what happens. There. I mean, it's it's entertaining anyway. It is. Yeah. And they're, they're just focused on Vegas right now. You can tell. They waved the white flag when Khalil Mack got traded. They wave the white flag and they want to compete in Vegas because nothing's, they don't have anything for them in Oakland. It does them no good to try to compete now because they're leaving anyway. So really interesting to me. And before we go out again, everybody give the QB sneak a follow, give them hits, go to, go to their site, check out their content. It's really great stuff. I know them personally is our first sponsor that we've had on the show. And Al and I are really, really excited about this. And Really, this is one of those things where it's kind of a new, a new dawn and a new era for the show, and we're hoping that this will bring um, more success for us going into the future. So, give those guys a follow, um, check out their content; it's it's really good stuff. And give Zane a follow at Zane Forty Niners and me a follow at Al Sacco Forty Nine on Twitter. And until next week, for Zane, this is Al. Thanks, everybody. See ya.